0: The enemies of God are not happy about the progress Nehemiah is making restoring the ruins of Jerusalem. They once again embark on various schemes to bring the work to a halt. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled The Village of No." All right, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Nehemiah. Wonderful insights about our Responsibility to work with the Lord and build his kingdom. And so uh, we will pick up where we left off there, verse 1, after we ask the Lord for his blessing. now, Heavenly Father, in the hustle and bustle of this busy season, we pray now that you would focus our minds on things above and uh, gather together our thoughts so that we can... um, Focus on the things that are important, Lord, to hear your word and to understand it and to put it into practice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are several different ways to set a trap for somebody. Um, but I'd say all of them involve one common thing, and that would be stealth. Now, uh, that is the intention to um, to ensnare them would be difficult to uh, detect. And so, I have a little picture of what was called a trapping pit, and they used to use them. I don't know if they still do, but in Europe, they were very popular back in ancient times. and And this one's from Germany um, that you're seeing there. It was used for elk and reindeer and uh, wolves and bears. And uh, unfortunately, for the victim, you know, they would have some things waiting for them at the bottom. Uh, to make sure there was a timely uh, demise of that animal. And uh, uh, of course, to make it work, you had to cover it with branches and leaves so that your preyed-upon animal uh, would just really walk right into the trap. How easy uh, is that? So that's exactly what Ballet and uh, Geshem... And the avowed enemies of the Lord and his people uh, have in store and are hoping will happen uh, with our Bible hero, uh, Nehemiah, here in chapter 6. So Thank you for that slide, verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages of the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Uh, Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Okay, so we're going to pause there. Uh, Relentless little pests. You know, they've been up to no good since uh, really chapter 2 and then uh, really gathered their forces together, chapter 4. And uh, so those who are rebuilding the wall are... Undergoing a lot of uh, pressure, but tonight um, those little mosquitoes—I mean, they're just like little mosquitoes in the summer when you're trying to go to sleep—and you know, you know and it just just always around and and uh, pestering and bothering—and uh, those relentless little pests uh, that are named in the verse tonight—they are going to use three tactics, and those tactics are very. Uh, common even today. Uh, Number one, they're going to use deception. Uh, Number two, they're going to use slander. Number three, they're going to use extortion. So uh, deceptions one through four right here, our first point. Uh, Coming up, slander is verses five through nine. And then the uh, device of extortion for our final uh, paragraph, verses 10 through 14. So as I've said, these kinds of tactics are still popular today uh, with our spiritual enemies uh, that, of course, use uh, human beings, flesh and blood, uh, to hinder uh, Christians in their work for the Lord and in their Christian uh, lives as well. So tonight in Chapter 6, there's some insights about overcoming uh, opposition. You know, if you want to uh, entitle it, maybe... uh, uh, sweating spiritual mosquitoes. Okay, maybe that'll be helpful. You know, it, you know, the bite is not that big of a deal of a mosquito, but some of them carry diseases like malaria, you know. So it's a big deal uh, when the enemy comes buzzing around. Um, so up first is deception here, projected on the screen here, verses one through four. What is the answer to deal with spiritual deception when it comes your way? Well, it's going to be discernment. So we're going to take a look at that. So if you're just joining us, some context, of course. Uh, Nehemiah, Bible hero, is leading God's people in a, uh, in restoring the ruins of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, some 150 years prior, had been leveled to the ground uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And uh, this was a terrible thing because in the Psalms, it is called uh, Jerusalem is called beautiful in, in magnificence, the joy of all the earth. And uh, it was supposed to really represent and be a light for God. But here for 150 years, just a pile of, uh, a disgraced pile of rubble, you know. And so this is the place that the Lord, some 400 years from this writing, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, would 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 step foot in that temple and teach and heal and proclaim the gospel and and right outside of that place would lay down his life for the sins of the world and it's the place that he comes back to and so it's a very important place and for it to lie in, in just rubble it just just was uh, just a terrible uh, heinous thing Uh, But as um, C.S. Lewis put in the mouth of Mr. Beaver in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan was on the move. Now, uh, yeah, in Narnia, you remember, Narnia was devastated, gloom and doom, kind of uh, under the curse of the White Witch. And um, it was always winter, but never what? Christmas, very good. And boy, that was really enthusiastic reply. (laughs) <laughs> and so uh, as things were, as Aslan was on the move, they could see signs. There was a, a great thaw that was happening, uh, buds on the leaves. And then, of course, uh, guess what? They, they saw Father Christmas. So they knew, hey, Aslan was moving. And so here in the devastated uh, remains of Jerusalem, uh, after 150 years, uh, the signs that God was on the move, uh, beginning to bring hope and joy to God's people again there in gloom and doom, Jerusalem. What was happening? Well, Ezra went back after exile with 40,000 Jews, and they started to get the temple up and running. Uh, King, Solomon, uh, King Solomon's temple there that was just laid waste, and then following now is the city wall is being rebuilt by Nehemiah. So the city of the great king is being uh, raised from the ashes and the enemy is not happy because they're having great success. And the wall is growing and the, and the temple is being used and Judaism is coming back and life is there back at the center of um, things in Jerusalem now, the application before we dive in, of course, is, is that we, our lives, the disgraced rubble, the ruins because of sin and the curse of the devil on this world, that our lives lack the glory that we had in the Garden of Eden. And so God is uh, restoring the temple. And what is the temple? The temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that Christ dwells in us. And so the work of God is to rebuild that temple and the city walls and and to bring our lives uh, back from the dead. And uh, that is really the spiritual application. Uh, We are the work of God, the church, and we are doing the work too. And the enemy wants to hinder us today. And deception, as you see in your text, uh, is still a favorite tool uh, to bring harm to God's people and to stop the work from happening. So let's take a closer look at your verse, verses here. The adversary's scheme. Now, the, the project's all but done, as he's, he clearly says. All they have left to do is uh, really put, install the gates. right? And so uh, Satan's mosquitoes... Right they begin to buzz the the ringleaders are are named again, Sambala, Tobiah, and Geshem, uh the little mini vampires, you know, out for uh blood, and so uh they get to work, but they, as I've said, they've been busy working uh the whole time, and they're 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 not very productive. The Lord has given God's people grace, and so uh the work is going on despite their constant opposition, which is of course what we face. Uh, in the church in the New Testament. So uh, around 176, here we go, Uh, they send a letter. It's a friendly invitation to a conference, all right? And so uh, I'm quite sure that it was uh, very innocuous, very uh, harmless, you know, hey, let's get together and talk things out. Well, these are the same guys who really want to uh, stop the work completely from happening. and so um, they want to meet in a place called Oh no. Uh, come on. you know, that, that's a fun one because that's the place the devil wants to get every Christian leader uh, to meet him at, you know, come and meet me at oh no.' <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with that as you can see uh, a little bit. So, the invite seems uh, harmless by design. It's reasonable. It's warm. As most deception uh, comes at you, it's And you can't see the harm in it. It makes a lot of sense. And that's what makes a trap work, right? So, uh He's saying, let's work this out, bro. Okay, number one, let's iron out our differences. Uh, let's reconcile. Isn't that the, 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 the spiritual thing to do? Wouldn't that please Yahweh or Jehovah? You know that we just share our hearts and iron out our, our differences. You know, he's saying, let's bury the hatchet, you know, over your head, probably in his mind. Uh, here's the lie. The lie is, we'll help you work. Come on, let's meet. I want you to come down to this place. Uh, it was near Joppa, the uh, village of Ono. Um, and it was uh, actually seven miles uh, south uh, west of Jaffa, they're on the ocean, Mediterranean. And, and the, the, the commentators say that there's a feeling of retreat. Uh, that's a place that they went for rest and a break. And so he's inviting him to break after a lot of stress, needing some rest, and to come away to the sea to, to just talk things out. Let's just be civil about this project. Maybe we can help. You know, we're at an impasse, yes, but come on out uh, to the village here and uh, we will uh, see what we can do. Uh, Well, it's out in the boonies. He wants to uh, isolate him out there so that they can ambush and kill him. That's what they want to do. But, of course, they don't come out and give any hint of that. Uh, So, Nehemiah... uh, has the spiritual smarts. That's, what's, that's what discernment is. In verse 2, he says, but I knew better. I knew better. I knew what they were up to. They were scheming to harm me. You know, um, in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, uh, the way not to be outsmarted by the evil one is not to be ignorant of his schemes. And sadly, there are too many Christians who go about their daily lives ignorant of the schemes of the evil one. And we're not supposed to do that because uh, that will set you up for disaster. Uh, So the definition of discernment, which saves the day here, because all through the chapter, he keeps getting these little impulses of light and epiphanies like, "Uh aha, oh no, yeah, no, I'm smarter than that. He sees the branches and the leaves. And he sidesteps it every single time. Now, uh, discernment. Here's how I would de- define it: a uh, one eyebrow on the inside that's always arched. Like, wait, <laughs> hold on. You know, you're always on the inside. You always just kind of, not that you're cynical, you know, or suspicious of everybody, but you're cautious. Uh, the proverbs say to be cautious in friendship. You realize that? What did Jesus say? He, it says of Jesus, he didn't entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in the heart of man. So uh, I'm not suggesting that we all run around suspicious of one another. But I do suggest uh, that we keep one eyebrow arched at all times within to just sort of filter through what's going on to keep your spiritual radar on. Never shut that thing off. You should always have a spiritual, Holy Spirit-inspired sort of sensitivity to hearing tone and, 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 and just picking things up from the Lord uh, that he's trying to... You should be asking yourself, Am I in danger with this seemingly harmless relationship uh, or activity or friendship? Discernment is like hunches from heaven. You know, he just gives you these little, uh, this x-ray vision that goes deeper than what your eyes can see. So it's watching your step. It's kind of doing a sweep for hidden minds, you know? There are a lot of Christians just walk straight on the mine and get blown up. Or they walk straight into the trap, you know, because they don't have the discernment on. The eyebrows aren't arched. They're not filtering anything. So the actual village in Ono, is, as I said, a few miles, uh, well, 34 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It would take a couple days back in those days, and it's off target. He's asking them to take two days away and come out to this village, the plain of Ono, and that's the physical location, the spiritual location of Camp Ono. Yes, uh, that is anywhere moving away from what God has called you to do. When you're away from on task of serving God, starting your day on your knees, open Bible. Lord Jesus, what do you have for me today? How can I do your will? How can I encourage and shine my light so others may see? How can I be a blessing and put others first and not just look to the needs of myself, but to the needs of others? When you're off task and you're just living for you and you're letting your spiritual disciplines down, you're wandering. You're going to, oh, no. That's it. I'm going to have fun with it, even if you're not coming along for the ride. That's where you're headed. You're headed out of God's will, his permissive will uh, there. You, you really don't want to do that. And, and and How do you end up at, oh, no? Well, you end up there by leaving, as I said, the task for what? A flirt? A, a, a flirt, an inappropriate flirt, it's, oh, no, when that starts to happen. You know, it, it's other things. It's letting, as I said, your spiritual disciplines go. Stop reading your Bible. Stop going to church. I met somebody who just said to me, oh, what's going on? Yeah, I haven't seen you around. I'm trying to figure out what church looks like. Yeah, I know. I didn't understand it either. Well, it's, it's nice for you to be able to say, I'm, under, I'm, try, I'm just kind of confused. I'm doing a lot of thinking and soul searching right now. I'm working through some issues. That's a nice way of saying, you know, I'm backsliding. That's what I'm really doing. But I don't want to say I'm backsliding, so I'm going to say I'm just working through issues. How, what does church look like? I mean, we're just having some philosophical struggles here. Well, you know what? Then those struggles should materialize in a search for a church, and you should end up at one, right? You, that shouldn't be going on for months and months and months without any progress, because if that's the case, then you're not telling the truth with yourself. And so that's when I hear things like that, it's like, oh, no. You're heading to the village of, oh, no. Then you're, you're picking it up. I like that. <laughs> nice, OK. Or friendship with a person who's in spiritual decline. What are you thinking? If you have a ministry relationship with that person, praise the Lord. But if that's your, your heart buddy and they're in spiritual decline, you are going to go down with them. Not some of the time. Not most of the time. Every single time, they will take you down. Every time I see it, I was a youth pastor. When I was a youth pastor, I see a perfectly good kid who loves Jesus, sort of drawn to a kid who is in decline. And I would say to myself, "Oh no!" And every single time. Well, what does First Corinthians fifteen thirty three say? Bad. Company corrupts good morals. Some of the time, most of the time, it it will always do it. So check yourself. Are you on the way to Ono? Did someone invite you to the village of Ono? Say, come on out of here. Let's just, just spend some time by the sea, you know? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't do that. Well, so, you know, you end up at at, at Ono, oh, and you should have known better and had your Holy Spirit radar on Um Nehemiah responds, verse 3, with a letter, letters of regret. You know, he sidesteps the hidden noose for him. So Nehemiah's foes, like our foes, are persistent, but he was equally as stubborn. Not only does he have discernment, and listen, because you need more than that. You need discernment, and you need determination. Four times a letter comes. Hey, come on out. You know, the weather's great down here. We'll just... Kick back. You need some rest. and we'll talk things out. Uh, no, I've got a great job to do. I've got time restraints. So I just no can do. Can't do that. The letter comes back through a courier. Hey, listen, you know, I got your letter back, but maybe, you know, think about it, man. You work hard. Four times he has to tell him and sit down and say, I am not coming down there. And so, you know, Got a pretty big project I'm trying to complete. I got some time restraints, deadlines. Can't afford to leave the work. Uh, love Nehemiah. So, the popular <laughs> <laughs> effective strategy of the enemy is just come at you until he wears you down over and over again. And our children have figured this strategy out, right? They just ask and ask and ask until, uh, you know, you're ready just to go crazy. And so you just say, okay, 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 you know. And, and that's bad, but it happens, you know. And wives and husbands, uh, never mind. Uh, You all know about that. You know, if you just keep at him or if you just keep at her, then, you know, you'll probably get what you want just out of sheer, please, I beg you, stop. Here you go. You know, so, but when when it involves spiritual warfare, it's your sinful nature prompting you. I'm just going to tell you now, it will never stop. Four times, it would have gone to five times and six times and seven times. From the first breath of your born-again experience to your dying breath when they're praying over you and you're praying, Dear Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That is the open time when you will hear. The temptations to go to Oh No will come to you. On a circular loop, it's on a revolving, automated loop. That's what they're on. So you say, no, I'm not. I, I've got God's work in my heart, and I, 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 that's what I'm doing, and it'll just come back. Every time you abstain, every single time you abstain, it just will come back again. And, and you will never outgrow invitations to, oh, no. Never. It will come all the time. Now, you will develop a maturity, that the intensity of those I- invitations, uh, but you'll always be vulnerable as long as you're in this body. And so, you know, we just need to know how not to take the bait as a, as a lifestyle. As a lifestyle. Uh, so, you know, it can be effective to keep at you on something. Uh, ask uh Ask Samson. You know, Samson, Judges 16, you know, the Philistines wanted to get to him. He married a Philistine, which he shouldn't have done. So they bribed Delilah and said, listen, we'll give you a lot of gold if you just tell us the secret to this guy's supernatural strength. And so she started nagging him. And he caught on and he's like, he he made stuff up and said, hey, if you bind me with seven cords, you know, whatever. And she would do it. And then uh, the Philistines would come upon him and he'd he'd laugh and break off off the ropes and everything was good. But he couldn't figure out, you know, he kept playing the game with her. Right. And so she kept. Here's what the Bible says. Then she said to him, uh, this went on for many times. How can you say I love you? You know, when you won't confide in me, this is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And here's verse 16 of Judges 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. <laughs> uh, the King James has it better. It says until he was vexed to death by her nagging. Wow. Well, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. Powerful, but we don't need uh, to yield. So, uh, yeah, so what did he do? You know, he says, the secret's tied to my vow with God. If I break the vow, you know what? Uh, the strength, I'll be just become like everybody else. And, of course, he was already breaking the vow. And so Samson really goes along with the mighty throng uh, to the land of, oh, no, having succumbed to sexual uh, temptation. Uh, But just because you're always tempted doesn't mean that there's no way out. Joseph, in in, uh, Genesis 39, was was prodded every day, every day, by Mrs. Potiphar, his master's uh, wife. And uh, one day, she just cornered him, and he fled. And he said, I could never do that against your husband and my God. You see? So, you know, you just stay focused. There's always a way out. I love 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 10 says that with every temptation, God promises with the temptation to have a way out for you and grace to bear it. Every single time you're tempted, just know there's a God-given promise with the very thing that's troubling you for a way out and grace to bear up underneath. I, that, that has been a precious uh, truth uh, for me personally. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, he, he manages through determination and discernment uh, to sidestep the problem. It, it, now, deception has failed. Let's try slander. Uh, verses five through nine. Then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aid to me, with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, it's reported among the nations. And Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report... We'll get back to the king, the king of Persia, his boss. So come, come on down here to Ono. Let us confer together. I said of this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And so we'll pause there. And talk about slander. So the first lie really in, de- in trying to deceive was, we'll help you. And now the second lie here in the slander is, we'll tell everyone about you. All right? To try to uh, cause him uh, to be intimidated. Now, the answer to slander in this case is going to be a simple, really non-response prayer and getting back uh, to the work. So let's talk about this fifth letter. All right? So, the same invite to Ono, but only now with a twist to give him some motivation. You better get down here. Listen, oh, oh suddenly we find out that there's actually not a friendly invite after all, but he wants to talk about something uh, really serious. So, what is he saying? Paraphrase, dude, you are in big trouble. Hot water, you better get down here and clear this up on the, deb- on the devil. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, Uh, before everyone finds out and hears what a true hypocrite you really are and a troublemaker to boot. So first you'll notice that the letter's unsealed. Oh, of course it's unsealed. All letters of official, uh, going back and forth, had to be sealed, right? But the Bible points out, oh, he unsealed the letter so that as many eyes as possible from Samaria, the region of Ono, to Jerusalem, as many people who handled that letter could open it up and read that there's an an accusation uh, against Nehemiah for the crime of sedition. Sedition is rebellion uh, against the king. And so that he wants to be king, and that's why he's doing everything. And so it's going to cause a lot of trouble within Israel and with the enemies who are, are looking for an excuse Uh, to go after this guy. Now, it is said, and I think it was Mark Twain who said, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. (laughs) Now, what is that? I'll tell you what I think. One writer, Ross Ryman, put it this way. The dark drama and juicy details of someone's supposed misstep is more appealing than the dry, straight up humdrum truth of routine goodness. Did you get that? All right. Well, you know, when you try telling the truth about a guy just simply doing his duty, you know, and everybody kind of knows the guy and he's doing what he's supposed to do. Boring. Right, But if you you start to hear something about the guy who's supposed to be doing good and everybody knows it's good, and then you say, hey, listen, did you hear about Pastor Smith? Oh, my word. Well, let me tell you. Apparently, see? Do you see how you all just kind of went, what? (laughs) You know, what is that? You know, uh, Warren Wiersbe said this. About this passage, in every local church, Warren says, uh, there seems to be gossipers who are hovering like vultures just waiting for tidbits of slander that they can chew, swallow and then regurgitate. Gossip is news you hurry and tell somebody else before you find out it isn't true. Think about it, you know. So ballot is betting on uh, the human nature, uh, the sinful heart in people to do its due diligence by opening, reading, and spreading what isn't true. And so a uh, closer look at the lie, first it starts out as, oh, slander. And anybody ever had anybody say anything untrue about you? Yeah, everybody, right? So it always starts with this, everybody's saying, Oh, it's not just me, you know. It's never just one person. The lie has to be multiplied by other people, and so it has to be big. Everyone's saying the nations. <laughs> He's saying, "Hey, this this thing about you wanting to be king, it's already gotten out to the Jordanians and the Egyptians and the Turk, the Turkish, right? What do you call it? the Turks, <laughs> right? It's gone viral, is what they're saying here, and." Uh, Yes, of course, everybody, you know. Uh, A.P. Simpson, he founded the Christian Missionary Alliance movement, churches. And here's what he said about this thing of gossiping and lying and making stuff up. I would rather be struck by lightning than to speak a reckless word against any servant of Christ or carelessly repeat the slanderous darts which thousands of Christians are hurling on others to the hurt of their own souls and bodies. And so uh, here's the lie he's saying about um, this man of God. Uh, Number one, he's saying the Jews are plotting to break away from Persia. To build the wall and then say, we're not paying any taxes to King Artaxerxes, uh, his former boss. And it's really his current boss still. And number two lie is Nehemiah is leading the Jews in this revolt against Persia. And here's, here's the heartache. Is, is that the Persian king is the one funding the project. And so he's saying, we're going to tell this lie. Back to your boss who's, who's trusted you and sent an armed guard with you and, and has financed you and all of that. And wait till he finds out that your true motive was to build the wall, get within it, lead the people in there, and then revolt against him after he fell into your little... Uh, sob story about you in Jerusalem and you have to build up to walls where your fathers all died and all of that story. You see? So uh, he, they, the enemy knows how to get to him and that's the hook. You know who's going to find out. Your old friend, the king of Persia. So let's talk about this. Uh, these uh, lies must have outraged and really, really hurt him. And you know, The very things, listen, the very things that Nehemiah has has lived his whole life to avoid, especially in the last year, the very things that he would never do, uh, that he took great pains to get the king's blessing to come under the king, if it pleases the king, and I am your servant, and long live the king. He doesn't want to be the king. In fact, he doesn't even take the stipend for himself. So the very thing that he has worked so hard to not do, they're accusing him of doing it because listen, the enemy knows how to get to your particular buttons, your hot buttons. This is this would have unraveled a normal man I mean he is so godly that he knows what to do with it but don't think that he wasn't laying awake at night with a broken heart and confusion and insomnia uh, because of these lies they're exactly you know like like he would you know rent out prophets to proclaim himself king oh what a terrible indictment and lie about this this great man of He's probably thinking all that work that I strive is all now, you know, down the drain or so. That's the way it probably feels. Yeah. So David Guzik said this. "Uh, We may as well accept it that the devil knows our hot buttons. He knows those lies, those accusations which really get to you. And he knows how to throw them in your face. Uh, we can't stop it, so we have to learn how to deal with it. Uh, so that's pretty important, you know. He needs to make every attack against you. He needs to get the biggest bang out of his buck. He needs you to snap. He's not going to to bother you about something that doesn't bother you, right? It may bother me. But it doesn't bother you. He's going to take the things that really bother you. He's going to stick his bony finger into your worst wound ever. And he's going to exploit that. He's going to find it. He knows it. This is the place, your little weak side, your little owie, you know, that you've had all your life. He's going to go in there and just go, let's unravel her this way or him. It's just so sad to capitalize on our greatest insecurities, our greatest fears, the things we most secretly dread. That's open hunting season for him. He doesn't play fair. He plays dirty. He's not like an American who, oh, you wouldn't kick a guy when he's down. Yeah, that's when he kicks him. He hits below the belt. He doesn't play fair. He plays dirty. You see, it's just terrible, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to disable you and me. And each attack is calculated. So he wants him to snap. And so he, he goes at such a tender place in Nehemiah's heart. So Nehemiah's a godly response. He didn't mount a, a defense campaign. Love it. He didn't write a lengthy rebuttal. No whining, no excuses, no elaborate uh, uh, defense. You know, he doesn't plan to take vengeance, all the things that we might want to do. He didn't call a a news conference, you know. He didn't write his boss, don't believe a word, King Arnazuzes, let me tell you. You know, he didn't do any of that. I really like how he responded. In verse 8, he says, that's a lie. You're making stuff up. Now I'm going to get back to work after I pray for you. So he prays about the situation, he gives it to God, and he goes back to work. And you'll find that happens in the Bible a lot, that there's not a lot of defending yourself in the Bible. The Psalms are full of, Lord, take care of me here. I commit myself to you. You defend me. May my, Listen, may my vindication come from you, God, You don't need as such. I mean, there are occasions where you have to set the record straight. He did say, that's a lie. You're making stuff up in your head, you know, but he did (laughs) not Most of the time, I I would go with there. There are two Proverbs in answering foolish things like this. Proverbs 26. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, uh, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So there's time to rebuke somebody, some foolish thing, and just say, you are a liar. That is a lie. You're making stuff up. This is a figment of your imagination, period, right? And then back-to-back Proverbs. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So there's time to go, right? And then right next door to it, right after that, it says, don't answer a fool, according to his folly, lest you be just like him. So there's a time to just say, you know what? As Titus chapter two says, Paul speaking to a young minister about slanderous opponents. He said, let your good speech and your good life and your integrity pull the rug from beneath the feet of your opponents. Let your good life Speak and defend your life and leave the rest to God. It is not our job. Nine times out of ten in the scriptures to defend ourselves. It's his job. He owns us. He takes responsibility for us. When they mess with us, they mess with his possession. He's the father. He's the vindicator. He's the judge. And we just simply give that to him. Now, if we can state the facts and all of that. But that's, generally speaking, what we see in the scriptures. And what Nehemiah does, he responds by not responding. All through the pastoral epistles, Paul is telling Timothy, Titus, and all those young pastors, do not engage all the time with all the false teachers. and all. They want to talk about myths and endless genealogies and get off track of the gospel. What does he tell? He says, don't engage them. uh, Sidestep it. Do not waste your valuable time, you see, and get overly involved. And so I like what G. Campbell Morgan said, just like, I mean, Prince of Preachers guy. He was a British evangelist, early 1900s. G. Campbell Morgan said, uh, and every minister, every single commentary I read on this passage, they all mentioned something from their own ministries, having been slandered, right? Because everybody who's up here, every single person gets talked smack about, every single person, without fail, right? And, and including me. It happens. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, let me tell you about one of them. I wasn't going to, but here it is. <laughs> Standing in front of my house, in front of a garage that I just remember exactly where it was because it burned me to no end. Somebody said, yeah, somebody said this about you. You know I'm not a part of that ministry. You know, he's all, Ross is all about the numbers. I saw red for three days. I, I don't, first of all, what that means is all I care about is totals, numbers, growing the church, growing the church. How many were here today? Oh, uh, how many next Sunday? How uh, did we lose three people? You know, where'd they go? You know, that's what they were saying that I'm like, right? That made me crazy for 72 hours. Because you know what? I'm happy the church has grown. I was happy at 50 people. I was happy at 100. We were in some basketball. That's a lot of Christians in some basketball. <laughs> <laughs> And I was happy. I was happy. I was stretched. I had another job. I just had a good life. The kids were in a good place. It was a lot of work, but I was happy. There was nobody else on payroll. There was nobody else around. I didn't care. This is what was driving me crazy about the slander, is that it's the very thing that I know I'm not, right? In fact, people ask me, you, you know, why don't you count? I've told the ushers, never count. I never want to know the numbers. See, that's what I've said. I didn't say that after I heard that accusation. That's how I've been from day one because I remember David counted the people. When I was in Bible college, I read about David counting all the people and saying, look how many people, and a terrible thing came down. So I just got that in my head. Just be happy with who shows up on Sunday, right? <laughs> oh, I want it. To call that guy, I wanted to know what. What? I just want to know what prompted you to say it. That's all. And I wanted to get even. Oh, I wanted to strike back. I just was. Oh. Do you feel it? Well, I felt it. Yeah. So the the temptation is to, and the way out of that all the time is stop. Oh, you know what? That was a fiery dart. If I would have lifted the shield of faith, I would have extinguished it. Instead, I let it go in and I had to try to reason all night long. Why would they say that? That even bothered me, right? Where are they getting this information for? And who did they tell And now my reputation is the very, oh, you know, and you're thinking it's not that big of a deal, you know. And I'm sure people have said worse things about me than that I'm a numbers guy, right? But for some reason, the very effort to not be that kind of person, then to hear it in my face, just uh, terrible. The way out is to pray for that person. And every time I was prompted to get angry and agitate and go over and obsess it in my mind, I pray for that person and look to the Lord for grace for my own heart. And every single time you do that, I promise you, somebody's bugging you with something they said or did, I promise you, pray for that person, put the situation, give it, Cast your burden upon the Lord. I promise you, you will feel better. You will have the comfort and the peace that passes understanding. There you go. Now, moving on. So, you know, let's finish up here. When outright deceit fails and boldface uh, lies and slander, doesn't do the trick, there's always this. Bribe someone to say, thus saith the Lord. Get a Christian or get someone spiritual to convince you that God's in it. <laughs> Verse 10. Now we're finishing up now. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah. Those are all this lineage there. <laughs> Who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God. Inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. I promise. (laughs) Verse 11. But I said, should a guy like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I'm not going there. I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sam had hired him. He's a pastor. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I'd commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat. Oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So with that, we're going to uh, conclude here with the last one of extortion. All right. So, you know, with friends. Or pastors like that, who needs enemies, really? This guy's a, a priest, or in our lingo, we would call him a pastor, you know, and the bad guys have bribed him uh, to mislead uh, and trip up Nehemiah. So, a lie in God's name is still a lie. And uh, it, they want to disgrace Nehemiah and cause him to sin. And we'll talk about that. Now, here's what's going on here. Uh, by the way, Tobiah is married into the influential priestly families. Uh, he, not only is his wife connected, she's a daughter of a big, important priest in Jerusalem, uh, but their son has married into the families as well. And so there's a lot of uh, pressure and corruption and money and infighting and all of that. Uh, and so uh, Tobiah has a connection to a pastor, a prominent pastor who probably Nehemiah respected formally. Now, uh, the dude is pretending to be in a life-threatening situation. He's in lockdown in his house, right? So somebody probably told Nehemiah. I don't know how he ended up going over there. He went over there. He probably respects the guy. He's like, "What's up, man?" He goes in there, and 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 the pastor says, "Hey." We're we're dead men walking, man. Uh, They're going to kill me. They're going to kill you. In fact, they're coming for you tonight. I have word. You're going to die tonight. So here's here's what the pastor proposes. Let's hide in the temple, in the holy place. Not in the temple grounds. Like to go in to where the holy of holy place is not into there necessarily but into the holy place right outside of where that curtain is it so just let's go in there and hide you know the goal so you understand what's going on here was to make Nehemiah seem guilty of the accusation that's out and about so now he's going he has to run to the sanctuary because he knows he's guilty and he's going to plead asylum you know don't kill me Even though I'm leading a a revolt, right? So they want him to look guilty, to lose the support of all those people. And he says they wanted me to commit a sin. Well, what kind of sin are we talking about? No, Nehemiah is a layman, he's not a priest. He's not allowed inside the holy place, the temple, under threats of death. It's a capital offense. And so, they want him to go in there out of fear, get him in there and then haul him out to the Jews who will have to stone him. It's a capital offense. And so we'll just take care of it this way. Get him so scared, you know, by a pastor in Yahweh's name. Come on, man. Let's just take this to the Lord, into the church and go into a place where it's safe. You know, once he did that, oh, he's guilty. He's guilty. And now the Jews will take care of that for Tobiah. And Tobiah doesn't have a problem anymore because he manipulated him through a pastor to get him to sin against Jewish law and put himself in harm's way that way. But there are a lot of layers to the disgrace of doing that. I love his response. Well, first of all, discernment again. You know, So he's listening. He's got the one eyebrow arched like, what? What is going on? Here's the big mistake of Sam Ballot and, and All miscreants, which is just thugs, a fancy word for thugs. All thugs make this big mistake. They think and project their own bad character onto the victim that they're slandering. So in other words, Sam Ballot thinks, well, if I was told by... Somebody, Hey, someone's trying to kill you. Uh, it doesn't matter that it says in the law you're not supposed to go inside the sanctuary because Tobiah, low life that he is, he has no morals. So he would just be, a, first of all, he has no courage, right? He's spineless. He's a big baby. He's a big coward. And then so he's going to run in there anyway and break all God's commandments. But he thinks that everybody else is like him. But Nehemiah's cut out of a different cloth He's not spineless. He's not a coward. Nor will he transgress the laws of God to save his own hide, you see. And so what does he say? I love his response. Here's a paraphrase. He says, seriously, Pastor Shem, Listen to me. He says, do you know me to be that kind of guy? You've been working with me for a few months now. You've seen wars coming against us. You've seen me working with my sword and my trowel. In my hand, you know. Uh, do I strike you as a guy who runs away when when I'm under threat, like a big scaredy cat? Is that what you, uh, is that what your takeaway of me and my character is? That I would just kind of go, oh no, I need to run. And furthermore, do you really think I'm the kind of man who goes skulking around into the temple precincts and go straight in to where only a priest will go? Do you think I'm that kind of guy? And then it says. Then I realized, he's thinking, this is so far out there. Pastor, what, it doesn't make sense with my public persona, As the character that I know you know of me. He's saying, with such a guy, what? this doesn't make sense. And then it says, ah. Then I realized Tobiah had given him money and that he was behind it. Oh, you see, so a little aha moment. Are you just in tune with the Holy Spirit that he can talk to you in moments of conflict and say, hey, it's a a trap. No, 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 no. Watch out, you know. Sometimes you don't even know what the problem is. You just know there's a problem. And it's enough for you to be cautious from then on, you know. And you have to be cautious in this day and age. So verse 12 says, I realized God gave him a little word of wisdom that the bad guys put him up to this, you know, and and he says, and here's what they wanted. They were hoping to uh, give me a bad name and disgrace me. Well, what's so bad about that? Character assassination? Listen to what the Bible says. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. If someone thinks you're a liar, you're cut off from the whole world. You're going nowhere. You're not getting a job, you're not making money, you're not getting married, nothing. No one respects you. Nobody even turned out at your funeral. Who wants to go to a funeral for a liar or a, a cheater or an unfaithful person? When you at that at a person who abused other people, when you or some guy who's all about the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, when you start just just taking Shots at people. It, you know, it diminishes their lives, their ability to connect and be respected and have a life. That's why the Bible says it's such a great sin to slander and to libel somebody. Libel is written slander, right? Uh, or to talk bad about, about people because of how important it is to be have your respect. And so uh, he said they wanted everybody to see me as some coward or transgressor or somebody guilty of these crimes. Right, so they're using. So then once again, he resorts to prayer. Like I'm telling you, it's always the answer just to cast your cares upon the Lord. Verse verse 14, remember these guys, deal with them. You don't call them up, you let God call them up. You can give their names over to God. God hears their names and he names them. You know, and then there's a Gal involved. That's too bad a prophetess. You know, she's in on the deal too. And he says, "Hey, I'm going to mention her. Lord, would you just handle them so that I will be free to go about your work, to keep a sweet heart forgiving spirit" And so that there's a room in the reservoir of my heart not to be filled up with Noadiah's lies and Tobiah and Geshem and always concerned about, well, oh, here's the latest. Oh, just terrible. Instead to have an open heart that's filled with joy to do God's will, room. When you come home and you talk to your wife, that the wife has room in her heart to hear from the husband, and the husband has room in his heart not to be talking about what the sister in law or the mother in law or the sister or the brother said and did, and a whole litany of everybody's problems and what everybody has said that's not true. Instead, and that's how marriages go south, is because there's no more room for anything good. There's no more room for love and for caring. And how was your day? No, I'm too busy hearing about mother-in-law problems or this problem or how somebody said this unfair thing. And just, Those people need to be cast upon the Lord. And those situations and hurts and pains need to be given to God. Cast your cares upon him for he cares about you. Then you're free of it. And then you can go about your life building and obeying and encouraging God's people and doing his will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. And Lord, even though it's hard, Lord, 52 days later, there was a wall standing because this man was able to cast his burdens upon you so that he could take care of the task you've given him to do. Help that to be our prayer as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.